Welcome to the National Democratic Institute's Changing the Face of Politics podcast series. In these candid conversations recorded from home, politically active women from around the globe interview each other about the male-dominated world of politics. They're the best examples of why we need to move faster to reach political parity between men and women before the middle of the next century and change the face of politics. In this first ever episode, you will hear Brigida Olson interviewing Vanessa Nakate about how young women are at the forefront of political movements around the world and leading the fight to combat climate change. Hello. Welcome, everyone, to this episode of Changing the Face of Politics podcast series. We at NDI launched a podcast series to celebrate the 25th anniversary of the legendary Beijing Conference and Platform for Action. My name is Birgitta Olson, and I'm the director for political parties at the National Democratic Institute and a former Swedish member of parliament and minister for European affairs. And my guest today is Vanessa Nakate. Vanessa is a young climate activist in Uganda. She was the first Fridays for Future climate activist in Uganda and the founder of the Rise Up Climate Movement in order to amplify the voices of activists from Africa. I'm really looking forward to this conversation because you, Vanessa, are one of the great values-driven role models of your generation, paving the way for a better world. Juvenessa, together with Malala Yousafzai, Greta Thunberg, and many more, you are part of a generation of fierce, brilliant, and brave young women who are now conquering the world scene. And do you agree with Beyonce that girls are now running the world as she's singing? Exactly. exactly. I believe that girls run the world. And I believe that when the girls run the world, then everything is in place, then everything is okay. I totally agree with you, Vanessa. Vanessa, you were born in 1996, the year after this legendary 1995 Baying Conference and Platform for Action. Um, and this year we celebrate the 25th anniversary of the Beijing Conference. At that conference 25 years ago, Hillary Clinton was then the first lady of the United States, later the state secretary of state. She coined this word that is often quoted, women's rights or human rights. And what do you think has changed for, for women in political leadership and decision-making during these last 25 years? And what has been the same? What kind of resistance have you met during your career? Well, um, personally, I'm a climate activist. And what I've really noticed in women leadership is that when women lead, then we clearly see solutions because some of the women leaders I've seen, they've been very inspiring in their leadership and they've been very direct in their leadership. And I've seen that when they lead, it's not about their positions, it's actually about the people that they're serving. So I think that um, we have seen more women join political leadership spaces but I feel like what is lacking is the weight of their discussions. It is one thing to have the women at the table of leadership but it's another thing to 
to have the weights of their discussions really heavy. So I feel like that is something that still needs to be worked on. If the women are on the table of leadership, even their weights should weigh strong. And you feel that, that you as a young woman are, are facing a tougher assistance than younger men fighting for the same issues like, like climate and so on? Yes, of course. Um, I come from a country whereby they do not expect young women to speak up for issues like the climate. It is a surprise to them to see young women coming up and demanding for climate action. This is the norm of the society. But we as young women, we have learned to go against what the society thinks is normal. Because when we see that something is wrong, then we have to speak up to correct it. I totally, I totally agree with you. And, and among the young female activists, because you are many young women that are dominating the, the climate debate right now, I think it's fantastic. Uh, do you feel a special sometimes sisterhood between you in a very kind of male-dominated world? Yes, I believe that there is a really, really strong sisterhood because at this point, I know that I have a sister from Sweden, I have a sister from Germany, I have a sister from Kenya, from India and different parts of the world because we believe that if we work together, we will be able to transform the world. If we work united, if we discuss together, if we demand for these actions together, then we can actually see a happy planet. You are enormously courageous to do what you do. And when did you decide to become a fighter for the climate issues? And what kind of motivated you to, to get involved in this? I remember in the year 2018, I wanted to do something that could cause change in the lives of the people in my community and country at large. So I started to carry out research to understand the challenges that they faced. And I was really surprised to find that climate change was the greatest challenge that they faced. I decided to read more about it to understand its challenges. And it was sad to notice that in school, climate change is taught as something that either happened in the past or something that is coming in the far future that we don't have to worry about. And yet the present is so catastrophic and it is showing us different disasters in different parts of the world. That is when I decided to become a voice in the climate movement to demand for action because people cannot be happy if the planet is not happy. And uh, I can't imagine what kind of risks you've taken to, to, to be as vocal and strong about the climate issues, both in Uganda but also in the world. Can you tell us more about that? Well, um, it hasn't been easy being an activist. It is a lot of work, especially from a country like mine whereby we don't have much freedom of expression. In order to go to the streets to do, to do the strikes, you need permits and it is hard to get these permits, especially if you're not backed up by a very big organization, especially if you do not have any connections uh, within the leadership of the country. So it has been hard to to call the climate strikes. It has always been a risk. I've faced uh, situations whereby I've been asked questions and my worry has always been the people I'm striking with because I wouldn't want them to, to face tear gas. I wouldn't want them to be in prison. But I thank God that we have not faced any of that. We have not had any activists being put in jail, even with the strikes. So it is not easy. It hasn't been easy, but we still go out there and demand for justice. 
challenges because we see that our future is at stake. Uh, when I was exactly your age, um, 24 years old, uh, my political journey started when I was selected to become the president of the Liberal Youth of Sweden. That was kind of old school politics going into, you know, a classical political party. And Vanessa, why do you think that so many young people nowadays are more active into movements or civil society groups than political parties? Why is that? I feel like uh, this is because they have found their voice that society has for so long tried to suppress because society does not teach us that young women can speak up, young women can be in movements, young women can do activism, young women can be in leadership. But we have realized that these are the norms and the rules of the society. These are not our rules. And if we see that the society is not doing well, then we shall speak up. So I think that everything has changed because young women have seen that their voice is important in society. And I also believe that education of young women has also helped because those who are so involved in leadership or in movements, they have had the opportunity to go to school. That is why I also think that one of the ways that we keep overlooking that we are not talking about of us solving the climate crisis is actually educating young girls, educating young women, because when they are educated, they can make better decisions, they can get married later on, they can have um, abilities to, to understand what family planning is. So I think education has also played a part in making sure that young women and girls understand their role and the power of their voice in the society. And if you educate a woman, you educate a whole family, as many people say. That's also very important to acknowledge. And, but we also need you in political parties. We need you as presidents of Uganda, as prime minister of Sweden, as uh, parliamentarians in, in Kenya, in Thailand, in the United States. Uh, so I, I hope that, that um, many of you will, will also go into the, the classical political future sometimes in the, in the future. Do you think that movements or the civil society are more listening to you when it comes to climate issues than the classical political parties? I think they are. What I've seen about political parties, political leaders, they tell us that we are going to save the world, but they do not do what we are asking them to do. So I feel like they are, they praise us and yet we do not need the praises. We need the action. The best thing that a leader can do for me as an activist is to actually do the demands, is to take the action that I'm demanding for. So enough with the praises. We have had enough of them. Now we want action. Very good, a very good answer. And, um, and when it comes to sometimes people are saying that... Um, Going into politics is like running a marathon. Um, you need to be very patient. You need to be very resilient and so on. But you must feeling very frustrated many times because everything is so slow right now when the climate issues are not on top of, not on the top political agenda. Exactly. It is very frustrating because this is an issue that involves human survival. This is literally a matter of life and death that communities that are facing devastating impacts of climate change, that people who are experiencing 
massive water stress, food scarcity, conflicts because of the results of climate change. Some girls have to go in for early marriages because their parents are given bride price if they lose everything to climate change. So there is so much going on. It is frustrating to see that climate change is not treated as a priority in the political agenda. And yet it is something that is affecting every sector of our lives. We cannot have any sustainable development goal achieved without addressing the issue of climate change. You won't eradicate poverty. You won't achieve zero hunger. You will not see gender equality if we still have climate change without it being treated as a priority. So it is frustrating to see that the greatest threat facing humanity right now is not being treated as a crisis, and yet it should be. Your, your work, Vanessa, it includes everything from raising awareness to the danger of climate change, the causes and the impacts, but you also do a lot of, I mean, projects like involves installation of solar institutions, staffs in school and so on. And, and where do you face the biggest challenges and, and resistance here? Well, some of the challenges that I've faced have involved um, convincing people that we are actually facing a crisis. This is because many people are ignorant about the climate crisis. They don't understand that we are facing a challenge right now. And I understand them. Most of them are trying to meet their daily basic needs like food, education for their, for their children, uh, shelter, among others. So it has been a challenge educating people about the climate issues because I've had to go to schools, I've had to reach out to different communities to try and talk to the people and tell them that we are facing a challenge, but, but the problem is convincing them. And then the project that you talked about, which I studied, it involves the installation of solar, the installation of stoves. But as I speak right now, we have been able to do installations in four schools, and hopefully mm -hmm. we can cover as many schools because every school gets uh, fully powered with solar and also mm -hmm. the institution of stoves. And just talking about resistance, this year at the World Economic Forum in Davos, you wrote a tweet that made prime times news globally. You wrote like this. You didn't just erase a photo, you erased a continent. But I am stronger than ever. Vanessa, can you tell us what happened at the World Economic Forum? Well, um, I was invited by the Arctic Base Camp to camp with them during the World Economic Forum in Davos. And at this camp, basically, we were telling the leaders through a silent protest that we have left the comfortable position, we have left the warm beds, we are sleeping out in the cold to show you that this is the thing that you need to do to leave the uncomfortable positions, the uncomfortable zones, because it's the uncomfortable things that will help save our planet. So I got to be at a press conference with Greta, Louisa, Lukin, and Isabel. And um, unfortunately, when Associated Press released an article, I was cropped out of the photo and my message wasn't included as well. So that led me to tweet what I tweeted because I was the only person from Africa who was at the press conference. That was already disturbing because it showed an an underrepresentation of the activists from the global south. 
So I was already disturbed by that. And in the press conference, I had already talked to media and told them to stop being biased because mm -hmm. climate change is affecting different people's lives. So it came as a surprise to see that I was actually cropped out even after mm -hmm. asking media to include everyone. So mm -hmm. saying that was to show them that we cannot have climate justice if some communities are being left out. Mm -hmm. There is no climate justice without racial justice. Nobody puts the Vanessa Nakata in the corner. And I'm so proud of you that you spoke out so clear and loudly about this, uh, this um, indifference and, and, um, and people not taking the whole picture and, and supporting you. And just talking about erasing continents, um, uh, because we know that African nations are among the most vulnerable um, for climate change. And you also spearheaded the campaign Save Congo Rainforest which is um, facing massive deforestation. And that was a campaign that came from Africa and then later to Europe. And, and, but why do you think that it's so often the case that, as you mentioned, activists representing the South from Africa, Latin America, and Asia, are so neglected in the debate. Why is it like that? It is the system. All this starts from the system. I feel like the system that we are all under it is a system that chooses whose voice is important and whose voice isn't important, whose issue is important and whose issues are, aren't important. And I think that the first step to make everything better is by dismantling this system that chooses who is better than who. I believe that we are all the same regardless of where we come from. We are all affected by the climate crisis Though we are not in the same boat, some people are really feeling the heat of the climate crisis more than others. So I feel like all this that we're seeing, the underrepresentation, the erasure of voices, it starts from a system that chooses to treat specific people as less important than others. And that is something that needs to change. Strong and clear words from you. I, I, totally, I totally agree with you. Uh, this year has globally been a very sad year because of the pandemic, the COVID-19. And has the COVID-19 crisis kind of influenced or, or changed your political viewpoints? And if so, can you give us some examples um, uh, and the social distance and everything? How, how has that reflected on your very important work in Uganda and elsewhere? With the COVID-19 pandemic, of course, different things were affected, including... Um, the climate work that we have been doing because we had to social distance. So most of the strikes were taken indoors and we weren't doing strikes uh, on the streets anymore. But what I feel um, has come out of this pandemic, it has showed us that political leaders are able to listen to the science. They listen to the science of the COVID-19 pandemic. They treated it as a crisis and put lockdowns, restrictions to stop the spread of the virus. So what I want is for the leaders to do the same for the climate crisis, to treat it as a crisis, to understand that people have been losing lives in this period. People have been losing lives for a very long time because of climate change. So now is the time for leaders to acknowledge and accept and treat this as a crisis, to listen to the science of climate change and give the solutions that are needed to save people's lives. So 
what I've really got for me from the political point of view is that leaders are actually able to listen to the science. It is about their will. So we want political will to be able to address the climate crisis. It is time for the leaders to face the climate emergency. Uh, so you think that the pandemic and everything that has happened this year, 2020, do you think that this will pave the way for more activities when it comes to, to, to also climate change, that, uh, that the leaders will now listen to you more than before? Well, I really hope so. And I feel like it is the right thing for the leaders to do. We cannot go back to what the world used to be. We have to move forward. If the leaders were able to listen to the science of the COVID-19 pandemic, then they must listen to the science of the climate crisis. Anyone can be a victim of climate change. This COVID-19 has showed the vulnerability of different countries, of different communities, in terms of health facilities, in terms of food facilities, And some communities have had to experience even the impacts of climate change in this pandemic. So they had to deal with two challenges at the same time. Hopefully the leaders can see the importance of listening to the science and treating climate change as a crisis and making sure that they provide the solutions that people need. Because all we want is a happy planet and a happy people. Finally, uh, I'm a feminist optimist uh, myself. Um, uh, my grandmother, Betty, she was born 1912 and she went to school for less than two years. Um, and my own daughters, they have enormous of freedom compared to her. And I'm just wondering, Vanessa, what are you, uh, what are you most optimistic about for the future? What could your future daughters and activist sisters look forward to in the world? Well, um, with the massive rise uh, of different young girls and young women in the in the climate movement and the various movements that we are seeing in this current generation i feel like it is going to be much better for the coming generation why this is because we are showing the leaders the demands that we want and we are also making sure that we create awareness in the process we are demanding for education we are demanding for um, protection of the planet so i feel like there is a lot of knowledge being put out by the young women and young girls in this generation so this is something that probably my daughters would learn from because they would know that if mom fought for the protection of the planet then i can't do less i have to do more So I will know that I am leaving the planet in good hands because whatever we are doing, I believe it is going to pass on to the next generation and it is going to be stronger than it is right now. So it is like Beyonce singing that the girls, they will for sure run the world now and in the future. So thank you. (laughs) Exactly. So thank you so much, (laughs) Vanessa Nakate, for attending this NDI podcast. We will for sure hear much more from you and your journey making the world a better place. It has just started this journey from you. And this was Birgitta Olson for the NDI podcast series, Changing the Face of Politics. And that is what we are fighting for at NDI every single day, changing the face of politics. Thank you all for listening.
Thank you for tuning in to this episode of the Changing the Face of Politics podcast series. To learn more about the series and NDI's initiative, please go to NDI's website at ndi.org.